0: If you're interested in learning how to leverage LinkedIn for your business, this episode is sponsored by my book, The 7 Habits of Highly Successful LinkedIn Users. To get your free copy, just send a text to 44222 with the word 7HABITS. That's the number 7HABITS to 44222. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Brandon Bruce. And he grew up in a tiny California town with about 800 people where he only had one classmate at his school with running water. I know that's kind of hard to believe, but he went on from those humble beginnings to now co-founding and growing Cirrus Insight to over $12 million in sales, 65 employees and get this, number 41 on the Inc. 500 fastest growing company list. So welcome to the show, Brandon.
1: Thanks for having me on, Dennis. And I should probably clarify. So I had one classmate in grade school. So think a little house on the prairie. We all had running water, but at the school we had outhouses. So it was a, it really picture a school out in the sticks where we spent a lot of time doing hikes. It was very self-directed learning, a great place out in Los Livos, California. Wow.
0: So you had outhouses at your grade school.
1: Yeah, no. And the key was, and anyone that's used outhouse, this will resonate with them. You got to check first and make sure there's no yellow jackets. And you learn that when you're like in preschool, right? You don't have to learn that lesson twice.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. That's that's classic. Perfect. All right. Well, listen, thank you for joining me today. I'm excited because you're a SaaS company and we're going to dive into everything about Cirrus Insight. But before we do that, just You know, fill in the blanks between the outhouses and Cirrus Insight, and then uh, take a minute or two, and then we'll dive right in, if you would.
1: Yeah, no, it's definitely, as with most entrepreneurs, it's not a straight line, but one of the most important highlights was freshman year of college at University of California, Santa Barbara, which historically was one of the first nodes on the internet, right? So the strong technology culture, a lot of folks into IT and software there, freshman year. I met Ryan Huff, and we became best friends in school. And then fast forward to seven years ago. So long after we graduated, we had kept in touch over the years. And together, we built Cirrus Insight. So going back to the college days, we had always really wanted to have a technology startup, right? This was in the late 90s. So we got to see the run up of the dot coms and the dot com bust and we did a lot of projects together we built websites for clients and so forth but we never really started the full blown company. Ryan then went to work for IBM, other technology companies and started developing a lot of expertise in the Salesforce platform. So, you know, this popularized the concept of no software. Their logo had software with a big X out of it. And so their CEO Mark Benioff, you know, basically said, "Hey, we can take this Oracle platform where everyone's storing their customer data, but put it in the cloud instead. And they called it Salesforce. So they're the, the number one in CRM. And so Ryan basically figured out, hey, how do we make this available to users of Gmail so that they don't have to leave Gmail? And that was the real key, is we're spending all our time with our customers in email, receiving emails, sending out emails, but then we're supposed to put that data into this separate cloud platform. Can we bridge those two platforms? And so he started building... What became Cirrus Insight, a nice little Chrome extension that puts the Salesforce experience inside the inbox. And then he called me and said, Hey, do you think this has legs? Do you think there's a need for it? And I was working in sales at the time, not with Salesforce, but with another CRM. And I was like, man, this would save me a ton of time. So I just started working the phones, calling potential customers, calling partners, and figuring out if we could make a market with it. And that was seven years ago. And and thankfully, we had a long phone call as we often did in those days we're just the two of us he lives in California i live in Knoxville Tennessee so we'd spend 4 to 6 hours on the phone every day with each other and on one of those calls we had to decide do we want to launch or wait for you know 3 to 6 months so we could build more features and thankfully we decided to launch and that allowed us to be the first app to market that connected Gmail with Salesforce got us our first 500 to 1000 customers and really kind of launched the company
0: Wow, that's amazing. So, have you raised any capital so far? I mean, you bootstrapped or did you go VC or where are you at with
1: that? So, we bootstrapped for the first nine months. We had a strategic investor that was very interested in putting some money in, but the day after we had kind of come to terms, they got acquired. And so, that deal fell through. Thankfully, some angel investors came in behind and said, we love the plan. We want to take the same terms as the strategic did. So, Net, we ended up raising about a million and a quarter over the course of a couple years from angel investors, and that really enabled us to invest in our first hires. So we felt that at the time, cash flow was pretty rocky, right? So one day we're winning, the next day it's like, where'd the customers go? So it was very variable. So having that money in the bank from angel investors really gave us the, the financial and psychological permission to go out and hire our first cohort of employees. And then from that point on we really scaled with or closely following growth. So we add more customers, we could add add more talented folks to the team. And then recently this past September, we did our first kind of institutional deal with a private equity firm. So they came in and did, did a large investment in the company and so now we now we try to grow from here.
0: Are you able to disclose what how much they invested or how large a range?
1: No, but it was a it was a majority it was a majority sale, right? So they're really taking the reins from here, which is kind of an interesting overall story, just from a mentality standpoint. I had really thought of, I'm an endurance athlete. I like to run marathons longer than marathons. I just turned 40, so I ran 40 miles on my 40th birthday because that seemed like the right thing to do. I like really long bike rides, 200s, 500s, stuff like that. So I had really envisioned the company as an endurance race. Like, we'll just do this forever. We'll outlast everybody, we'll work harder that mentality kind of switched and I started thinking of it a little bit more like a relay like hey we're going to run as fast as hard as far as we can and we did that for about 7 years and it was like cool we need to bring in some more folks so that we can pass the baton to torture the analogy a bit but you know we need to bring some folks in fresh capital fresh ideas fresh talent so that's what we decided to do this past fall and so we're excited about it we think it'll help take serious to kind of that next level, serving more customers, continuing to expand in the enterprise and you know, broadening the platform.
0: Perfect. So you're doing about 12 million in revenue. Was that, what, was that 2017, I'm assuming, or is that run rate for 18?
1: Uh, yeah, that was 17.
0: 17. Okay. And what's it look like this year? I mean, can you give me some rough idea? I mean, we're pretty close to the end of the year here. I mean, you're able to give an update. Are you going to still be on the Inc. 500 list? Or
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think we will still be on the list. I'll, I'll give it, a small tip that we learned as entrepreneurs, if you're thinking about going on the Inc. 500 list, definitely apply the first year you're eligible. And mathematically, it works out the best because you're comparing across like a three to four-year time stretch. So if you apply the, the, on the, in the third or the fourth year, then you're comparing your growth at that point to the growth that you had when you started. And when you started, you're pretty close to zero if you're a new company. So then showing that delta gets you pretty high up on the list. We did not know this at the time, but we were pretty surprised and excited to end up at number 41 in 2016. So this year, I think we'll end you know, probably in range with 2017, which is to say the growth isn't going to be as fast. We're not going to be number 41. Just like this past year, we were in, I think, in the 400s or so. So similarly, we'll be in the hundreds again. We won't be in the in the 10s.
0: Yeah, it's a sure it's a lot easier to double a half a million in sales than it is 12 million in sales, right?
1: Yeah, no, just mathematically it yeah, becomes sure. uh, more of a challenge. It's a, it's a different it's a different scale. Yeah, I
0: remember I had a third party logistics company I started in 2003, went through the whole, whole Inc 500. We were part of that for 7 years. When we first did it, we were oh, wow. we were 298th on the list. And then progressively every year, it got harder and harder. And I've since sold the company a few years ago, and I don't even know where they are, but I know they're still on the list. So I get your point. But yeah, very cool. Well, congratulations on that. So I want to get a little bit micro into you know into the business, into Cirrus for a second, if you don't mind. What's the number one strategy that sure. Cirrus used early on to get those customers? So let's, let's talk about the first Let's talk about the first thousand customers, so to speak, and then let's do yeah. part B and talk about what's working today. Because I think my in, my listeners and even I'm curious myself is to see. There's always a difference, right? It's usually a little scrappier, and it's a little usually a more strategic, you know, a little later on. So, could you fill in the blanks for us there? Part A being first thousand customers. What did that look like? How did you get traction?
1: Yeah, part A is is fun for me to reflect on because it was just me, right? So Ryan was 100% building the application, right? All the architecture, all the scale, all the features. And so he's cranking away on the product. And meanwhile, I'm spending most of the day on the phone, on demos, writing emails back and forth with prospects and customers. So we got our first 500 customers. We did basically a promotion that said, hey, if your first 500 in, you'll get special pricing and so forth. And so we were able to get those on board in the first three months or so, and then we ended that promotion because we maxed out the 500 plus new customers. And then over the course of the next several months, we added on the next 500. So we got to the first thousand customers, just the two of us, before we made any hires. And that was an interesting inflection point. and I think you know, back of the napkin, that's around the time where a lot of companies, including us, tend to start hiring, because when you have a thousand, it's not just the customer Joe anymore. You've got like 5 customers named Joe. And so it becomes a little hard to keep track of everything. So you got all these relationships. I've talked personally with all of those customers. I've emailed personally with all those customers. And so the benefit of that is that they really feel priced into what the company's doing, right? They've got a direct line to me and to Ryan. They want to see a feature... They want to see something change color. They want the font to change a little bit. They want to move it right or left on the screen. Like, we can make that happen. So, you know, the benefit there was to your point, it was very scrappy and it was very responsive. So, they were in the trenches with us like, oh, something's broken. That's okay. We're going to help you fix it. We're going to do it fast. So, you know, nimble, fast, scrappy, and extremely responsive. Really long hours, which I frankly really enjoyed. Right. So, we're talking. 4 o'clock in the morning, I'd usually get on, do emails for about 3 hours, get the family rolling from about 7 to 8. And then from 8 to 5, you're doing demos, you get home, have dinner, and then it's emails again for another 2-3 hours before sleep. You know, rinse and repeat during the work week. And then certainly, you're putting in another you know, 5 to 10 hours on the weekend. And we love that. right? This is super exciting. People wanted to use the application. We're adding value. People are writing hundreds of nice reviews online saying this application saves us a lot of time if they're salespeople. Uh, Meanwhile, if they're managers, they're saying this application is great. We've been trying to get our sales team to use Salesforce, to use CRM for a long time. Nothing's worked. This enables them to do it because they just stay in the inbox and it just does it for them and with them. And so super exciting. Well, then we start to add employees and all of a sudden you're losing a little bit of control. You're trading some control in favor of scale. So you run out of time. You can't do four demos at the exact same time. So you bring on some employees, but you lose a little bit of control. So you're not, you know, that person's not going to do the demo exactly the same as I did it, nor should they, they should bring their own skills, talent, personality to it. But when, when I first, you know, they, they've watched me do it, we've talked about how to do it, and then they go do it. And I'm thinking, no, that's not how we do it, but it's how they do it. And it was important. So that enabled me to learn a lot because I would see stuff that the new hires would do well and I'd incorporate into my pitch. And then meanwhile, they could learn from things that had worked well to get the first thousand customers incorporated in their pitch. So that's still like a small nuclear team. We're all working closely together. We're all really sitting at the same table, the same dinner table doing the work. And then fast forward a little bit longer. Now you've got really a standalone team where I'm now more providing to your point, like Strategic level direction. This is where we're trying to go as a company.
0: Let me interrupt really quick. I apologize, Bryn. Where did you no, were doing demos? Where did the demo? How were the demos generated? Where was the? Where were the leads coming from
1: again? So for that, we heavily relied on, and this is still true to a large extent today. You know, email. So we are an extension that plugs into your inbox. So the best place for us to meet the customer and talk with the customer is in the inbox. So we would email them to follow up. We had met people at conferences. People had signed up on our website for more information or people had just requested, hey, I'd like to see this software. Like I'm trying it. I started the free trial, but I have some questions. I want to make sure this matches my use case or I can't start a trial yet. You know, my company doesn't allow me to install software. I need to see it first and show it around to the team. And so we would jump online. But, you know, one of the best things that we did then and and we still try to do this as much as possible because it still works. So it's one of those what's old is new again is making ourselves extremely available to the point that, you know, now we have like systems in place, right? And it's very process oriented. But the thing that works the best is simply making ourselves very available to talk with customers pretty much throughout the entire workday. And that means that you're kind of hustling on the front end and the back end to respond to emails send pricing proposals, reply to red lines in the morning hours and the evening hours, because that workday for us always has been and still is best spent simply talking with customers. And not every demo is going to lead to a sale, but you sort of mentally get over that hurdle. And, you know, what's worked the best for us is just to pack that time. I mean if you can do half an hour demos and you've got a nine or ten hour day, then you've done 18, 20 demos that day. And that sounds like a lot. And it is. But that's what's worked the best for us. It's going from customer to customer and telling the story, showing them the software there so they can experience it, and then you know enabling them to make a a buy or no buy decision.
0: So tell me a little bit about today how what's the number one channel? I mean, how are you setting these appointments up? I mean, are people finding your website? Are you guys doing cold email outreach? Are you cold calling? Are you using LinkedIn? Are you doing paid ads? I mean, what's the number one channel that's generating you the most? leads that convert into clients today?
1: Yeah, the, the number one for us when we started was the Salesforce App Exchange, right? Yep. So we launched into an ecosystem, sort of yep. like launching an app in the Apple iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store. So you launch into one of those stores, exchanges, and the benefit is you've got some shoppers milling around, looking for stuff, thinking about what they might want to do to make their platform experience better. Yep. Now that we've been in the market, you know, seven plus years. Now it's more a function of word of mouth. It's people that are hopping from company to company and they take serious insight with them to each one. It's people telling their friends, colleagues, other people at trade shows, conferences, user groups, hey, you ought to check this out. You ought to use this. And then so it's those folks coming to us largely through our website. We still run some advertising. We definitely send out a lot of email to follow up with people, right? So these are long term. You know, drip or nurturing campaigns, as they're called. We still engage with our audience on social. I will say, though, more and more over the last 18, 24 months, we've always done conferences. We're getting even more biased toward opportunities to meet customers in person. So when we look back seven years ago, the volume of email, the volume of phone calls, and voicemails was X. Now it's what, 10X at least? When we think about just individually, think about your inbox, think about your, your voicemail box, the number of cold calls you receive every day. And so how do we differentiate in that very busy marketplace? The best way that we found is to meet people in person, shake hands, look people in the eye, forge that relationship. And so that means as many user groups as we can do, as many conferences where we have the opportunity to demo, where we can set up a booth and meet people in person, show them what we have. And then also taking the chance when people do raise their hand and express interest in the software, we'll volunteer to say, Hey, can we, can we come to you? Right? We'll catch a flight next week. We'll come and, and speak at your headquarters. Can you get the sales team together? We'd love to present. Can you get the stakeholders in a room? Do You guys want to come to us and we'll do a training in our building. It's just making ourselves very available which is a differentiator now. And some companies don't want that. It's like, no, a Zoom meeting is perfectly sufficient, which is great. It's fast. It's easy. It's inexpensive. But for those benefit from that level of relationship, of change management, of training, then that's a big differentiator for us in a market of SaaS players where a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails, but we're saying, we're going to meet you where you are, right? In the field, at your headquarters, wherever your salespeople are, we'll be there. And that's been very successful.
0: Yeah, that's a huge differentiator because there's very few companies that want to spend that money on travel, right? Or being outside of the office, you know, they're, they're thinking scale and they think when they think scale, they think automation, they think, you know, inbound leads and zoom and, you know, e-commerce and buying online. And, you know, that person to person, face to face, belly to belly concept is kind of going out the window, right? With a lot of those companies. And I'm a little surprised because the, you know, the, the dollar value of an app, you're not selling an enterprise app, right? Where you're out there charging clients thousands of dollars a month for this app. You know, it's, you know, you said before the interview, it ranges anywhere between like 19 and maybe 69 bucks per user, you know, for the app. So, you know, it's a very affordable product. So that outside the office is a little bit counterintuitive, but you're obviously seeing the conversion right? Yeah, work. it's a
1: calculus. So this isn't something that we're doing, obviously, for every customer. If you've got one user, five users coming on the platform, that's awesome. That's right. bread and butter. Serious Insight e-commerce deal will show you the app online, show you the customizations, credit card through the website. You're up and running, easy, fast, inexpensive. But when you have a customer saying, okay, we'll look at 100 seats, 500 seats, 10,000 seats, right? then yeah, we're we're there, right? We want to be in the building, meeting all the people. And that, you know that's one of the big challenges in mid market and especially enterprise sales these days that will resonate with any salesperson listening to this is there's so many people involved in, in there's the, the owner, the decision maker, there's the, the payer, right? So you're talking about the, the CFO level or the controller. There's procurement that's going to try to negotiate you down. There's legal. and especially now, the security, plus legal, right? So you've got the intersection of those two where everything needs to be private, secure, GDPR compliant, etc. And then you've got the legal terms of jurisdiction and venue and so on and so forth. And so getting all those people in a room on a Zoom call can be a challenge because you're fiddling with lots of calendars and stuff. Showing up in the building, it's like, well, let's just walk down the hall and we'll go check with the controller and make sure we can get this deal done. So there's an efficiency that comes with You know, it sounds like you're burning a lot of time and money, you know, jump on a plane, flight gets delayed, you're spending money, you got a hotel room, you got to take the Uber, etc. But then the efficiency, once you get in the building, and the fact that people have seen you and know that looks like the vendor we're going to do work with, then that's a huge competitive advantage, I think.
0: So quick question, being a SaaS company, I have to ask. Tell me a little bit about your progression and strategy as it relates to churn. I mean, you're in a unique situation because your clients are all using Salesforce, right? So they're already invested into Salesforce and you're you're obviously a bolt onto that. But talk to me a little bit about churn. I mean, churn is a SaaS company's biggest enemy, right? How have you, what have you learned about that? And what are some things you've done to overcome that?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, churn... Is typically the number one challenge of, of a SaaS company. And you know, for us, we have a long tail of customers. A lot of our customers are small businesses. So it's easier for a small business to come in and out of apps because by definition there's there's less data moving or being stored, et cetera. Meanwhile, when you get in with a, a larger mid market or an enterprise company, there's a higher switching cost. You know, once they've trained everybody and rolled it out and they're trainers are in the field doing the work, then to rip that bandaid off, there's substantial pain associated with that. So they, they stick with their apps for historically longer time period. So for us, the keys have been, especially as more and more competitors have entered the market over the years, is to make sure that the product is still differentiated, that we still have the deepest integration with Salesforce. And these are some terms of art, but you know, compatibility with record types, custom fields... Custom objects so that it just works, right? It works the way that each individual client wants it to work. It's not a generic piece of software that just says, well, we connect with this big platform, Salesforce. Salesforce is very different for a university than a community serving nonprofit, than a Fortune 500, than a law firm, than a pharmaceutical company, right? Totally different use cases, totally different configurations. And Cirrus Insight, Ryan, and the engineering team have done a great job of making it adaptable. To all those different configurations. So that's the number one thing we've done is say, this is software that's built to your customer for you. It will work the way that you've set it up. So we're not going to tell you to work a different way. It will conform to your workflow, enhance it, and make it better. That's been the most important thing, I think, for us to mitigate against churn driven by the commoditization of a space, right? So if we go back seven years, if it's just about putting email into Salesforce, there's now a lot of options for that. So how do we go above and beyond and make sure that we continue to add value? It's by saying, yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to do it better than anybody else, but we're also going to do this stuff. It's very specific to your business and your industry. And, you know, we're highly secure and we've gone through all these security reviews and hoops. And so it's just right. It's just for you. And there's a benefit to sticking with it.
0: Perfect. All right. That's perfect. That's exactly what I was looking for you. So you, you got very customized at a very niche level for different audiences within the salesforce, you know, ecosystem that you've identified as good clients, good customers for your business. That's perfect. All right, awesome. So, so knowing what you know now, this is a big question and this might take a minute for you to, you know, put a little thought into it or maybe you've already prepped for this, maybe you already know. Knowing what you know now, what would you do different? All right. What would you do different to grow, to get further, faster? If you could go back to that first year, and now we're in year seven, right? What would you do different, you know, to get further faster, maybe to hit number one on the Inc. 500 list versus number 41, which is obviously still amazing.
1: That's a great question. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw a number of different things out there that, that we've thought about. Let's uh, think about one we'll only very have early on.
0: One, one we, thing, really. That? one th- We'll yeah. only have time for number one. So give it okay. 10 seconds of thought or whatever you think. That one thing, if there was one thing, what would it be? What would you do different?
1: So here it is. And with the caveat that I don't know if I would actually do it differently. But one thing that, that we've thought about, and this is a decision that everyone kind of has to make at the very beginning when they launch is we made a conscious decision to charge for the application. We want to be software as a service. We want to generate revenue. We want to make it a company. We want to have the ability from a cash flow standpoint to hire employees and to scale up. And that worked out very well. So I don't have a lot of reservations about it. The semicolon is, would it have worked equally as well, better, or not as well, to launch it and have it be free, right? Hey, we're providing this integration, and it's free for everybody to use, and then essentially punt the monetization conversation until later. So that once there's this huge user base established, then... Is it something that becomes a very attractive target because you have so many great companies and users on the platform? Or is it a data play, right? You're able to analyze the data and glean some insights from that. And that becomes how you monetize. It's an interesting question. And it would have required a different... Like We're a bootstrapped startup. That other model would have required us to go out and raise upfront right, venture capital so that we had the runway to do all that development we were self financing it through customer cash flow to do it. Um, so anyway, that's not to say I, I would have done it differently. That's just saying it's an interesting pick a path, which I used to love those books as a kid, pick a path exercise to kind of go back to the beginning of the book and say, Okay, instead of taking the path to the right, what would have happened if we had taken the path left? We'll never know for sure. But it's interesting to look at other companies out there, especially in the consumer space. So B2B may be different that have gone that route and some of them have worked out really well and some of them haven't. So it's it's not a guarantee, but it's an interesting thought experiment that I think is worth everybody as they go out to start their companies or scale their companies, think about at a foundational level. You know, what are what are you trying to solve for or where are you trying to get with it?
0: One of the most famous that I think of is Dropbox, right? I mean Dropbox obviously sure. offered free storage and then, you know, they had a whole viral loop built into it. And then obviously once they get you addicted, then they have some premium features and you end up buying that. So that's a perfect example. Thanks. That, that's a great, great answer. All right, perfect. Well, listen, on these last two, let's do rapid fire and then we're going to wrap it up for today. What's your favorite growth tool or software other than Sirius Insights?
1: And in Serious Insights has this feature, but any application that enables the time on your calendar. So whether it's in an email and they click a time and the meeting's just scheduled or they're choosing a time on a website and it books on your calendar and their calendar, I think it's a huge time saver. I think it's great for customers. I think it's great for salespeople because they get more meetings that way. And it takes away all the back and forth of calling each other back, arranging time zones, emailing back and forth over and over. I thought you meant next Tuesday. I thought you meant this Tuesday, all that stuff. It goes away and you just get the meeting that you want.
0: So you're talking about like a, like calendar scheduling, like a, like a Calendly that I use or something like that?
1: Yep, yep. Serious Insight has those features. Calendly has them. There's a bunch of other scheduling apps out there. I think it's, it's fantastic for salespeople, sales teams, uh, marketing, and growth teams. If your sales process includes wanting or needing to show somebody something or have a conversation with somebody about something, I think the getting of the meeting is one of the hardest parts. That we, that's where you see significant drop off on, like, well, we had all these people fill out a form, and we never heard from them again. A lot of people try the software, we weren't able to get in touch with them, right? We could never have that demo or that conversation. So being able to schedule it efficiently, effectively, is super powerful. The the related, somewhat related one to that would be you know, chat. Speaking of what's old is new again, right? We all remember when chat came to websites forever ago, and now it's back with a vengeance. So rather than filling out lots of contact forms and so on and so forth, instead, you know, put the chat bot on the page, whether that's drift or intercom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that you can just have that live conversation. If the customer has a question, well, why not just answer it now rather than put them in a, in a queue, like it's a ticket and then they have to wait until you, you read through your queue.
0: Yep. Perfect. And what's one book that you've read that you would highly recommend to my audience?
1: I really love a book that came out a few years ago, and there's there's a follow-up to it, but the original, which is a New York Times bestseller, is called Tattoos on the Heart. And it's a book by a, a Catholic priest named Greg Boyle. He's the founder of Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles. It's one of the largest social enterprises in the world, and it is the biggest gang intervention project in the United States. Amazingly successful and he compiles all these stories of working with people. So he talks about boundless compassion and radical kinship, both of which I think are fantastic concepts. And so it's, it's an engaging read. If you pick up the book and open it up, my guess is that you won't put it down until you've read the whole thing.
0: Perfect. Well, listen, Brandon, we're going to wrap it up for today. Let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn more about Serious Insights, and then we'll close it out.
1: Yeah, certainly give me a shout on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I do communicate with a lot of people on LinkedIn. Uh, so just look me up, Brandon Bruce, or certainly we are an email plug-in company. So email me, Brandon at CirrusInsight.com. And if anybody listening is in the Knoxville area or traveling through Knoxville, since we're at the junction of 40 and 75, give us a shout, swing by the office on a Friday afternoon and uh, join us for a company lunch.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Brandon. I appreciate it. Congratulations on your Inc. 500 I'm sure you'll be hitting it again this year. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon.
1: Thanks so much, Dennis. Appreciate it. Thanks.
0: Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.